0: Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. It's time to break down the biggest local and state stories of the week on our Friday News Roundup. New numbers released by the city's Department of Public Health show black Chicagoans are disproportionately infected and killed by the virus compared to other populations.
1: We're all in this crisis together, but we are not experiencing this crisis in the same way. There will be no mass release of inmates anytime soon. Today, a federal judge denied that request but did order new safety measures to stop COVID-19 spread.
2: I do not see how we are going to have large gatherings of people, again. Uh, until we have a vaccine, which is months and months away.
0: Joining me to talk about those stories and more, Chicago Sun-Times columnist and ABC7 political analyst, Laura Washington. Hey, Laura.
3: Hi, how you doing, Jen?
0: Doing all right. Also with us, Crane Chicago business, government and politics reporter, A.D. Quigg. Hi, A.D. Hey, Jen. So let's start with the latest on COVID-19. Governor J.B. Pritzker says the state is, quote, bending the curve in terms of how many people are testing positive for the virus. Let's listen.
2: As Dr. Ezekiel and I told you yesterday, our rate of rise is looking less and less exponential. That indicates to us that we are in fact bending the curve. There is even some evidence that we may be moving toward a flatter curve, but keep in mind our case numbers and the death toll are still growing. And the data will show that those numbers are growing more slowly. And that's a very good thing.
0: AD, what's the latest on the state's response to COVID-19?
1: So the state has performed just short of 81,000 tests so far. Pritzker said he was looking for a magic daily number around 10,000. And the state has not gotten there yet. And they say they need 10,000 to get a good idea of exactly where we are. Um, There are a few issues at play for why we don't have that testing volume. One of the machines from California-based Thermo Fisher Scientific uh, was supposed to be able to process 200 tests an hour, but they have not met that volume and are being taken out of rotation until problems are resolved. Federal lab tests are also taking a long time to process, too long to be meaningfully useful to understand the state of play. And then these rapid lab tests from Abbott Labs um, haven't come with enough tests from the federal government. But despite all of that, both Governor Pritzker and Dr. Ezekiel say there's they're starting to see a glimmer of hope that infections are not rising as explosively as they thought. And this first wave of the pandemic, because we need to remember there might be another wave in the fall, uh, might be showing signs of kind of easing up. But we're, we're heading into the peak. So we might just begin to see how bad this surge is potentially this weekend or next week.
0: Well, Pritzker said crowd size limits will likely uh, extend into the summer and that people need to think seriously about canceling summer events. Let's take a listen.
2: From my perspective today, I do not see how we are going to have large gatherings of people, again, uh, until we have a vaccine, which is months and months away. um, I I would not risk having large groups of people getting together uh, anywhere.
0: Laura, what kind of impact could this have on the state economically?
3: I think the most important thing that he is trying to send a message about it, that we need to control expectations, and we know and I think that's what he did yesterday when he talked about the large gatherings. Of course, it's going to have a huge uh, economic impact on us. For one thing, those large gatherings are not just good for the city. We just love our summers in Chicago and love to be out and about, but those large gatherings are huge tourist attractions, and this is just going to be one more massive blow on our ability to bring tourism, new money, new funds, new revenues into the city at a crucial time. We've lost you know dozens of conventions we're going to continue to lose those we've we've lost many public events even this spring and i think he's trying to send the message that there's a lot more pain economic pain to come mm-hmm. ad
0: as you alluded to the state is not reaching its goal of reforming 10,000 covid-19 tests per day governor pritzker is partially blaming the federal government for that hold up can you unpack that for us a bit
1: more so Pritzker has blamed the federal government for a number of shortfalls during this entire pandemic, saying, you know, this chaotic response at the federal level, not getting enough personal protective equipment, not getting enough uh, respirators, ventilators, is forcing the state to compete with other states and local governments for life-saving equipment. And this is now playing out in, in testing as well. He's saying... You know, We take responsibility, too, and we're trying to do everything we can, but if the federal government had done a better job preparing, knowing that this virus was coming over from China, this wouldn't be so bleak at this point, and we wouldn't have to be spending so much time, in Pritzker's case, calling other CEOs, calling other governors, um, calling up Abbott Labs, Miles White, to try to get the resources that we need to keep people safe here in Illinois.
0: Well, Governor Pritzker says public health officials will prioritize testing in areas with high concentrations of African-Americans, a population that's been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. Data show that the virus is disproportionately killing black residents in Chicago and Cook County. Laura, break that down for us.
3: Well, I think that, yes, it is disproportionate in communities of color, but that is not really and shouldn't be a surprise to medical and state and political authorities because the medical disparities and the health disparities have existed in these communities for decades. The governor says he's aware of it. He says it's a tragedy and they are doing their best, but there hasn't been much transparency so far in how that's actually going to work. For example, at his one of the press conferences earlier this week, he was asked about it, and he said, "What are you doing to ensure that we get more testing in those communities?" And he said, "We're working on a testing site, a drive-through testing site right now for the South Suburbs, which is in an area that's a predominantly African American. But you know, that's the South Suburbs. Uh, the hardest-hit communities are in the city of Chicago. And when you talk about drive-through, you're talking about serving communities that." have access to cars, they have access to easy transportation to those tested facilities. So it shows that they are, that the governor and, and I think the city are a long way from being able to really address the huge disparities. In some ways, it kind of caught them off guard, and it shouldn't have.
0: Well, and to put this into some context, data show more than half of all COVID-19 deaths in Cook County um, are deaths of black people. In Chicago, black residents account for 70 percent of deaths. Uh, Mayor Lightfoot said this was a call to action moment for the city. Here's a bit of what she had to say.
2: The distribution of this
3: disease tells a story about resources uh, and inequality, a story about unequal health care access, job access and community investment. Dynamics we know all too well here in the city of Chicago and something that all of us have been talking about and
1: fighting against for
3: years.
0: AD, what kinds of plans is Mayor Lightfoot rolling out at this point?
1: So one of the things the city health department is requiring now instead of just asking for kind of politely, they put out an order this week basically saying health care providers, if you do testing on COVID patients, do not skip the box that includes demographic data. The city is missing a lot of demographic data. So is the state. Um, According to the state, Black people make up about 28% of confirmed cases. White people make up about 26, but about 26% of demographic data is also missing. So, the state is first of all ordering healthcare providers to include that data so they can better respond to it and, and know where the hot spots are. And then the other thing is putting together a, a rapid response team of healthcare workers, street outreach people, local stakeholders to make sure they're going deep into communities, reaching people where they are, including performing well being checks and trying to do really thorough education around this issue. And Lightfoot was on Maddo last night saying for a few weeks at the beginning of this, there was a rumor that uh, that Black people could not get COVID. And we need to do everything we can to dispel that rumor because we're seeing this, of course, disproportionate impact today.
0: But Laura, this is something we've talked about on our show, the, the uh, life expectancy gap in Chicago, uh, the gap in health outcomes overall. And I want to circle back to something you said, because it, this seems to have caught a lot of people off guard, but the data has been there for a long time. So why is this such a surprise?
3: It's a lack of being careful about making sure that the resources go into the right communities, and that we acknowledge these disparities. You know, let's face it, uh, the, these disparities have been decades in the making, and, and the mayor and others have have addressed, tried to address this over the years, but it's just really been inadequate. And it really does come down to, in a place like Chicago, it comes down to geography. It comes down to where you're located. It comes down to your your social status. Just for example, the SNAP program, we have a federal program that's designed to assist people who are lower income in in terms of providing food resources. But that program is, is a federal program, and it's set up so that you have to access grocery stores. Right now, that's a very difficult thing to, de- to do. SNAP recipients don't have the option to order online. But even if they can access grocery stores, those grocery stores, as we know from food deserts, are not uh, strategically placed and they're not as vibrant in the communities that need the most as they need to be.
0: Well, the state also released data by zip codes. A.D., which areas are being hit the hardest?
1: So one that was kind of surprising to a lot of folks was uh, up in the 50th Ward in West Rogers Park uh had one of the highest rates. Alderman Deb Silverstein said people there were taking social distancing seriously, but it might be because the rates might be so high because there are a lot of healthcare workers in the neighborhood, a lot of large nursing homes and a lot of testing capacity. But again, we also saw a few neighborhoods on Chicago's west side that are mostly black neighborhoods also deeply impacted by this.
0: Includes Auburn, Gresham, um, Chatham, and Roseland. You're listening to the Friday News Roundup here on Reset when we break down the biggest news of the week. Our panel today includes A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business and Laura Washington of the Chicago Sun-Times and ABC7. Some other stories we're watching today. Unemployment claims in Illinois jumped nearly 13% last week. They include more than 201,000 new claims. According to the Labor Department, new claims nationally dipped by 3.8%. And the U.S. Department of Education has released the first wave of federal stimulus funding for colleges and universities. Illinois' public universities received $68 million for students to offset costs, including childcare, housing, technology, and course materials. Now, yesterday, Mayor Lightfoot announced that the city is expected to receive $1.6 billion in federal aid to fight the coronavirus pandemic, and that money will be spread out across different city agencies. Laura, what can you tell us about that?
3: It sounds like a huge amount of money, and it is indeed, and a good chunk of that, close to a half million of that, goes, goes to the city of Chicago. But when you put that, put that in perspective, the mayor uh, said the other day that the city's already probably spent $100 million on things like PPE and on building out McCormick Place Hospital. So some of that money has is, is, is already disappeared, and we've, we've barely made a dent. And the other issue is that there's still not clarity from the federal government of, about exactly how all that money can be spent. Yes, yes, it is available to local districts like the CPS in the state and the city, but it, has to be, it cannot just be spent on anything like, for example, our this pension shortfall that we're expected to have because of the downfall in the market. So th- th- those are still big questions in terms of how, how much access and what kinds of access the city and the state will have to that money.
0: Well, Mayor Lightfoot is also implementing a new 9 p.m. curfew for liquor sales in Chicago to help stop the spread of COVID-19.
1: A.D., what led to this decision? So there was a press conference Tuesday and Wednesday where we've seen these memes of Mayor Lori Lightfoot basically warning people to go inside. To an extent, that still wasn't happening. Interim Superintendent Charlie Beck said big gatherings have continued since the start of the stay-at-home orders. Uh, they said they've dispersed over 2,000 groups since the start of the orders, and uh Tuesday night was that was the top. They broke up 300 gatherings then. And aside from COVID enforcement, regular crime continues. The city logged uh, seven shooting deaths, 14 shooting deaths Tuesday night. That places an extra burden on hospitals responding to COVID, too. And Chicago police are, are just as burdened as they were, both breaking up groups and also dealing with Chicago violence. Basically, The mayor and Beck warned, you know, we've got to reserve our health resources as much as we can. So part of that is this 9 p.m. liquor store curfew because they said a lot of folks, in the absence of bars and restaurants being open for people to hang out at, a lot of people are hanging out outside liquor stores. Well, the
0: mayor expressed frustration at the uptick in city violence this week. And here's what she had to say about a five-year-old girl who was shot on Tuesday.
3: Violence of any kind is never acceptable. But the fact that this is especially urgent now Um, as our ability to treat all Chicagoans is being stretched to the breaking point. We cannot allow this to happen and we will not allow this to happen. Laura, right
0: now, CPD is is working to enforce the stay at home order, but they also have to deal with with violence and, and just regular enforcement. How is that working right now?
3: It's a bit, been a big challenge for the police department. You would think because uh, everything is shut down and people are not on the street that it would free police resources up. But you have to remember that the police force is down in terms of uh, personnel because they're, they're getting many people who are getting sick and who are calling in sick. And then they are they are not getting cop cooperation on the street. They will say that they're trying to break up groups, keep people safe. But uh, from the other end, you hear from youth groups and advocacy groups who are saying that. They feel that there's an, that the police are using this event as a way to as an excuse to harass and violate people's rights, and and that many of the folks in some of these communities are folks that have to go to work that have to that have to be out on, this, out on the street, whereas others are not, and so it's, it's 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 sort of going back to that same traditional tension that we've always had between the police and the community, and, it, and unfortunately it shows that maybe we haven't made very much progress in terms of police community relations.
0: Ad, how much of a concern is this going into the warmer months?
1: A large concern, especially because we've seen, um, I'm not sure how much this has ticked up in, in recent days, but we've seen a lot of CPD officers calling in sick, about 7% of the force on average in the past weeks. Um, I'd imagine this only gets worse, and it's compounded by the fact that uh, we are also in a leadership transition. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, right in the middle of this pandemic, announced that she had made her choice for uh, Chicago Police Department superintendent who will have to not only battle summer violence, which we're looking out for, but also respond to COVID in terms of enforcement, but also respond to COVID in terms of a lot of people on the force getting sick. I heard anecdotally that there were a lot of police departments around the state that were requesting data on each household that had tested positive so that they would know whether they were putting themselves in danger. Um, The guidance from health officials is now to assume that every home you go into might have someone that is COVID positive, but I think morale and um, sick leave and overtime is just going to get compounded by summer violence that we're expecting.
0: I want to turn to news now from Cook County Jail, which has become a hotspot for COVID-19. A second man detained at the jail has died and nearly 450 detainees and employees have tested positive for the virus. Eighty. what do we know about the conditions inside the jail?
1: So as of today, 276 detainees have tested positive, positive. Uh, 172 sheriff's office staff have tested positive. And yes, the New York Times basically singled out Cook County Jail as the largest hotspot. But Sheriff Tom Dart says the only reason we're considered a hotspot is because we've been so aggressive with testing. We also saw this play out in a lawsuit that has moved around a little bit this week. It, courts are shut down, but this is an emergency consideration to try to get more soap, sanitizer and more dispersal at the jail. Tom Dart says he's been working on this for weeks, trying to get uh, the jail population low enough so that they can keep detainees in single cells. He estimates that about 86% of the folks that are still in jail are accused of very violent crimes or who have uh, violent criminal records and can't be released right away. But from the inside, we've heard a few um, sheriff's department employees and also detainees saying it's not sanitary, we're still very close together, and all of the new arrests that are coming in are people are kept in kind of bullpens that make it more dangerous for the spread. Cook County obtained two of those Abbott Labs rapid COVID tests earlier this week, but that takes a lot of time to set up, a lot of time to train um, hospital folks there on how to use it and to clean. So it's not like one and done that they're ready to go, but they are doing pretty aggressive testing there at the jail. But it's we're going to see this happen at jails across the country. They are, they're petri dishes. People are in close quarters, lots of contact. And it's difficult to get a a handle on it, especially when we know that asymptomatic people can be carrying COVID.
0: Well, yesterday, as you mentioned, a federal judge ordered the county to take actions to improve sanitation efforts at the facility. But he also denied a request for the immediate mass release of detainees. Laura, talk about the pressure being put on, on Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart right now, because there is some pressure saying, hey, this isn't safe and these detainees deserve to be protected as well.
3: And, of course, uh, the sheriff has been very outspoken for years about the fact that the the jails are overcrowded. Long before we had this disease to confront, he has been calling for measures and policies to to reduce jail population. So he's in a really impossible situation. He's got to worry about the public safety in terms of what goes on inside the jail. But but he and the courts also have to worry about public safety outside. And, And while there are many advocates that are calling for mass release of detainees, and there has there have been so has been some movement on that. But there are a lot of these folks in these jails are not people that, that you want out on the streets, particularly right now. So if it's, it's, there's a real tension there.
0: Well, another county news, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle announced the launch of a $10 million fund for small businesses earlier this week. A.D., quickly, what can you tell us about that?
1: So these are one-time zero-interest loans available to businesses with 25 employees or fewer in suburban Cook County. That's up to 20000 for businesses, 10000 for individuals. But this is just one of several loan programs that are available. And demand so far is far, far, far outstripping supply. I mean, less than 10% of the 12,000 small businesses that apply to the state's Emergency grant program got funding. Only 2,000 people got help from the Chicago's uh, Rent and Mortgage Assistance Program. 83,000 applied. So in the weeks ahead, I'm going to be watching how massive the demand is for help and how little the supply is.
0: Well, Chicago Public Schools will begin to uh, begin formal remote learning on Monday, and schools have been closed now for about three weeks. But there is a digital divide that has to be acknowledged here. Not every student has access to a computer or the
3: Internet. Laura, how is the city planning to
0: tackle this issue?
3: They are planning to tackle it on a number of different levels. It is a school-by-school effort. In some cases, they're not going to be able to to, to provide the – the optimal technology or technology access—they're going to be sending packets, paper packets—to to some of these school communities. And, and the divide—this is just another example of what we talked about earlier—is that there is a lack of access to technology. There's a lack of literacy in, in terms of technology, both among students and in the schools and in the families that they go home to. And just just think about the places where, sort of, the lifelines where people could once go to get the support—they can't go to schools, they can't go to public libraries. They can go to community centers. They can go to park district facilities where some of this access could be had. The lockdown is, is, is really doing tremendous things to, to exacerbate the digital divide. Well, A.D., you
0: mentioned that you were going to follow up on the dispersal of those that $10 million uh, for small businesses in Cook County. What other stories are you following right now?
1: We've heard that banks that are working with the Small Business Administration to get federal loans out to people are having trouble processing applications. We've heard the same thing about the state's unemployment system. We had 200,000 unemployment claims filed this week, 180,000 the week before, 115,000 the week before, and that number is going up and Illinois in particular is not well equipped to handle it. I'm curious to see whether that improves. And Laura, what about for you?
3: The warm weather is coming and Lori Lightfoot and the governor have been very effective so far at getting the message out, but there's going to be a lot of cabin fever out there, and, 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 and we're going to we approaching spring and summer. I think they're trying to balance the messaging that you have to stay at home with a message of hope that we will come to the end of this cycle at some point. But it's it's going to be a tension that's going to have to be managed very carefully. I'm going to be watching after the next several weeks.
0: Well, talking about, you know, getting to the other side of this, A.D., what are going to be the big questions you're going to have once the stay-at-home order is lifted and things return to, you know, some some type of normal?
1: I think the economic fallout is going to be a huge deal. Mayor Lori Lightfoot has kind of given hints at how the budget might be affected. Um, We saw a new analysis out this week that said under the best case scenario, the state will have a $1.9 billion reduction in state revenue. I'm curious what that is for the city, for the county, and what kind of federal help can actually attack that instead of all of us just having across the country terrible budgets and what that does to support systems that people need more than ever.
0: And Laura, what about for you?
3: Well, I think if you look from the national level on down, uh, the, the White House and the president has been really urging a reopening of the economy and and pushing for perhaps by maybe May to be to be able to get states to begin to move ahead. Uh, I think there's going to be an interesting battle brewing there between the White House and states like Illinois, who have been ahead of the game in terms of uh, the state their stay-at-home orders and, and and taking the precautions that need to be taken. Is the White House going to Order states. They've always said they don't want to order states to take any action That they want to leave it up to the states. But yet there's this, this, this anxiety about getting the economy reopened. And what happens if they do send strong messages? messages? What happens if the CDC says, makes a recommendation it's time to reopen? What are the states going to do? What, how will a governor like J.B. Pritzker respond to that?
0: That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Our panel today, A.D. Quigg of Crane Chicago Business and Laura Washington of the Chicago Sun-Times and ABC7. Laura, A.D., thanks so much. Take it care, okay? You too. Thank you, Jen. Jen. And that's today's Reset. Thanks for listening. Please continue to stay inside as much as you can. Help others whenever possible. And thank you to all the folks who are keeping food on the shelves, picking up our garbage, healing people who are sick, and more. I'm Jen White. Have a good weekend, and let's talk again soon.